Earlier this year, in the daily Bible reading schedule that many of us follow, I noticed that in the early history documented in Genesis, there are repeated instances where people were deceived. We are all aware of the first instance when the devil approached Eve deceived her successfully and then she carried that temptation to her husband and he was deceived but it didn't stop there in the story of Abraham Isaac and Jacob there are narratives exhibiting deception Potiphar's wife attempted without success to deceive or seduce Joseph and then moving beyond Genesis in a variety of stories in the Old Testament, one of the recurrent sins was deception, lying, or being a victim of a lie by being gullible, impulsive, undiscerning, undisciplined. Now, wouldn't it be delightful to be able to say deception was a widespread problem back in Old Testament times and in ancient times, maybe into the New Testament, but no more. As a race, we have moved beyond deception. But that isn't our reality. People continue to deceive and people continue to be victims of deception through an absence of good discipline and consistent discernment. So, as we might expect, there are vivid statements in the New Testament, warnings for our good to keep us from being deceivers and from being deceived. And here are two. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 let no one deceive you in any way. The context is the alarming rumors circulating in Macedonia that the coming of the Lord had already happened. About that conspiracy theory, Paul said, let no one deceive you in any way. Another example would be Galatians 6 and verse 7. A prohibition. Do not be deceived. Then it says, God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So, what started with Eve when she was deceived, and then all those other cases in the Old Testament, and then all the warnings and the cases we have in the New Testament... And then today there are deceivers in our time and people are often so vulnerable to being deceived that they are easy victims of deception. So let's take up that subject tonight as a warning for each one of us, a review for each one of us. And the purpose is well stated in the New Testament, be not deceived. There are four forms of deception 
I want to call to our attention tonight. I do not believe this is comprehensive. There may be six, seven, or eight that you think of. There are four forms of deception I want to bring up tonight. And the first is self-deception. And here are some passages containing warnings of being self-deceived. Hebrews 3.13, to Christians who were under pressure to leave Christ, the writer said, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's never going to be a time in my life or in your life when we can let our guard and our discipline down about being self-deceived. Two facts are brought up in the passage. Sin is deceitful. And the other thing is we can help each other not be deceived or hardened by sin. You know, I bring this up a lot. Sin is generally packaged in a beautiful box. Sin is generally packaged in a beautiful box. It is attractive superficially. The ugliness and the horror of sin and the offense to God is packaged inside many of times in a beautiful covering that is superficial. And if we are careless, if we don't stop and think and look carefully, we can be led into something that didn't appear to us at first and then become hardened in that sin that is offensive to God and destructive to us and others. So we need mutual exhortation. Pray for each other. Encourage one another. Assemble and work together. In hard times we need to stand together. Worship together. Study the Bible together. Check on each other. It is part of our protection against being self-deceived by sin. Here's another case of self-deception. James 1, 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, it is relatively easy to hear the truth. And it is relatively easy to read the truth on a page. That's relatively easy. The real challenge is to internalize it and embrace it as truth from God and then in your attitude and action conform to that truth. James wants us to know the real test is in the doing. If we hear and we just stop at that point, James calls that self-deception. Likewise, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You know, in all of these passages, the New Testament is telling us we can be self-deceived. We can lie to ourselves, and thus becoming the deceiver and the deceived at the same time. 
Self-honesty is a godly trait that has in it humility, devotion to God, a desire to learn and grow and remember what's eternally important and correct our steps and adjust ourselves toward better things in the future. We talk a lot about self-examination. Taking what you read in this book and hear in classes and in sermons and using that honestly and humbly to look at your attitude, look inside, then look at your words and your treatment of people. All of that based on what God has said. Self-examination consistently practiced can protect us from being self-deceived. God is saying to us, be not deceived. Be not deceived by false teachers. Deception often occurs when we place too much trust in men. Maybe out of laziness or not wanting to hear the truth from the source or looking for loopholes. Deception often occurs when we place too much trust in men. Here's what God wants us to know. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The Apostle Peter didn't know about TV or the internet, but he knew there would always be false teachers who claim to help us to God, but without using what God said. I think that's a good way to look at false teachers and their work. They claim to want to help us to God, but without using what God has said. That's what happens. Men claim that they have the pathway, that they can help us to God, but they're not using his word. They're not taking us to scripture. Now Peter uses two words here about this kind of deception. Destruction and condemnation. Destruction and condemnation. They destroy themselves as expressed in the word condemnation. They destroy us when we feed into their false teaching and that becomes destructive for us. The way of truth is not their stock and trade. They deny the master by not obeying him and delivering his word to people they claim to help. So, God is saying to us, be not deceived. In another place, Paul issued the same kind of warning in Colossians 2 and verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty 
deceit. And there's our word, deceit. Here's what he said again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now there's one phrase there that needs emphasis. Not according to Christ. If what we're reading or we're listening to or watching is not according to Christ, discipline, the discipline of discernment needs to kick in. God is saying to us, be not deceived. In 2 Timothy 3.13, Paul warned Timothy that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The word of God in us is our protection against what we're talking about tonight. The word of God in us is our protection against imposters and human tradition. God's word is our defense against any form of deception. Just a knowledge of a few Bible facts isn't sufficient. A superficial knowledge may not protect us. We all need to dig in and study the text and keep it in our minds and be not deceived. That's what God is telling us. Be not deceived by temptation. That first account that I alluded to in the introduction, that first account back in Genesis, I want to take us there. And first I'm going to take us to what God said in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. We are not certain how much time transpired after creation, but what we're certain of is God was clear in his instructions. Look back in chapter 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God, as their maker, had the right to give these commands. But here's what happened. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, look at the serpent's 
the devil's tactic here. Tempted by instilling doubt. And you can perhaps hear the tone of it when you read Genesis 3. Did did God really say that? You can hear doubt in the tone. Then the devil said God was actually wrong. So you have doubt and then you have a denial. God was actually wrong, the devil said. What God said about the consequences of sin, uh, that's not so. So Eve is now thinking and looking and desiring. Then she ate and she served up that meal to her husband and he ate. And it's in violation of what God said. Now, this is history, but it isn't just history. It is history that contains instruction and warning for us today. Very simple truth is here. God is always true to his word. The devil, on the other hand, is a liar. And no matter how good something looks, if God has said no, we must honor God and obey him and turn away from the devil's doubt and deception. Guarding against temptation to sin means we are always aware of these two things. One, God is always right. And two, sin is never, ever good for us, no matter the superficial appearance of it when the temptation first emerges. Paul said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 11, Sin deceived me and killed me. And then he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11.3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I would highlight that phrase. This is our defense. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. God is saying to us today, be not deceived. Be not deceived by emotion. We are emotional creatures. And emotions are not altogether bad. Love in the Bible is an attitude that produces certain emotions. We were just talking about sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that has an emotional component. Grief is a legitimate emotion. Joy in the New Testament is mentioned over and over as a legitimate emotion. The problem is when emotion isn't informed and guided by scripture. When emotion isn't informed and guided by scripture, feelings can deceive us. We sometimes feel like doing something, but we reject that feeling because we know it isn't right. In Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
Anger can stir up certain emotions within us that the devil can then use to deceive us. Anger can stir up an emotional outburst of wrath or insults or violence or long-standing resentment and revenge. This passage tells us when those feelings of anger are nurtured and kept, the devil can step right into us and deceive us. Give no opportunity to the devil. So, God's telling us, be not deceived. I ran across something in my files recently, accidentally, that bears upon the matter at hand, and I'll close with it. A survey was conducted by a religious magazine many years ago asking readers to rank the greatest spiritual challenges. I'll let you think about that a minute. Rank the greatest spiritual challenges. And here's how that survey came out. Materialism, pride, self-centeredness, laziness, anger that leads to bitterness, sexual lust, envy, gluttony, lying, and worry. The article went on to say that survey respondents noted temptations were more potent when they had neglected their time with God, 81%, when they were physically tired, 57%. Resisting temptation, however, was accomplished by prayer, 84%, avoiding compromising situations, 76%, Bible study, 66%, and being accountable to someone, 52%. Those are exactly the disciplines that we need to avoid being deceived or being a deceiver. Time with God, prayer, Bible reading and study, avoiding compromising situations, being accountable first to God, and then having good companions in the faith to help and encourage us and call us out when we are letting our guard down. God's message to us, be not deceived. Let's be standing as we sing.